I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Mm -hmm. Thank you, may the Lord bless the reader and the hearers of his word today. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Carrie. We're continuing our journey through the book of Hebrews, and of course, Carrie just read uh, chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Um, but what I want you to do is I want you to hold your spot there, and I want you to flip over to the right to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. The book of Revelation, chapter 5. In that book, the, the apostle, the prophet John, was taken into heaven. He had a vision of the spirit realm, and it was so awesome and so majestic and so weighty that he really didn't have words to describe what he was experiencing. So what he was trying to, to do when he wrote this was to express it in, in the ways that, that we could understand in terms of it being so magnificent that he, he used uh, um, uh, precious jewels and stones to to try to describe it, and it was so ah awesome that that uh, he used acts of nature to try to describe what was going on around the great throne. And John says that he saw this great throne, and seated on the throne was the Majesty on high. He said, and around the throne were twenty-four thrones, each with an elder. So twenty-four elders sitting around the throne. And then he said that that around each corner or each side of the throne, there were these four living creatures. 
He said one of them looked like a lion, the other like an ox, the other like an eagle. Uh, and one had the face of a man. And, and, and they all had six wings and they were covered with eyes from front to back. And then John describes them as having eyes within. In other words, everywhere you looked, they had eyes on them, right? And he said as the angels would, would sing this proclamation, these creatures would sing this proclamation, the 24 elders would bow down and, and they would cast off their crowns. And the proclamation was, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's a powerful scene. But I got to tell you something. I was thinking about that scene this week. And I have to believe that these 24 elders had to be in their glorified bodies. Because I don't know, if I was one of those elders, it would be hard for me to fully enter into worship and praise with my eyes closed and my hands lifted in the air with those creatures running around the throne. I know I'm not the only one that thought about it, because think about it. They're full of eyes, man. You know, and so, so you're holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I, they just don't look too friendly to me. You know, and I have a problem with dogs. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been to places where people say, my dog is friendly, Pastor. He doesn't bite. I've been bit three times by dogs that don't bite. Right, and so I'm, I can imagine myself that I'm worshiping and I'm watching, I'm holy, 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 and my eyes open because, you know, these things got six wings, which means they can get to me pretty fast. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But I'm going to tell you something, there is no fear in heaven. That's my natural man speaking. But then the scene shifts and it gets real serious. John says that he sees in the right hand of the majesty sitting on the throne, this scroll. And the scroll has writing on both sides. And it, it has seven seals that seal it. And one of God's big, strong angels comes up in the midst of what's happening in heaven. And I want you to get this now. There's, there's worship and praise going on in heaven. And all of a sudden, this angel steps up. And he says, who is worthy to open the scroll? I can imagine there's silence in heaven. And I can imagine that because when he, when he asked the question, who is worthy to open the scroll, no one answers. John says, I, I begin to weep, cry because there's no one worthy. And one of the elders come up to me and they say, hey, man, don't weep. Don't cry. Because the Lion of Judah, the root of of David, the offspring of Abraham, he is worthy to open the scrolls. So now let's pick it up in chapter 5, verse 6. Let's read it together. I'll read it. You guys can see it on the screen. It says, In between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who 
was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Let me stop there for a second. Every prayer you pray is heard by God. Every prayer you pray is captured. Someone told me once, and it makes total sense to me, because God is eternal, both past, present, and future, that every single prayer that's ever been prayed circles the throne of God. So can you imagine these elders with these bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints going up before the throne? Can you picture that? And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I want to take for a title today for, for the message, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. I believe that what John wrote in the Revelation really serves as a great backdrop for our, for our text today because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the one whom John writes about is also our great high priest. And it's the blood of the Lamb and through the blood of the Lamb that we as believers and followers become beneficiaries to a superior priesthood. Hmm. Let's pick it up in, in verse 1 of chapter 8. Again. He says, now, the writer says, now the point is, or in, now the point in what we are saying is this, that we have such a high priest. So what is he talking about? He's talking, he's referring back to chapter 7 where, where um, the writer introduces Melchizedek. And if you want to know the full context, you have to go back and listen to Lance's sermon on chapter 7. It's awesome. But he says, he says, we have this such a high priest, the, the perfect son of God appointed by the Father by oath. And he has become a perfect high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Why is that important? It's important because the priesthood of Melchizedek is a foreshadowing of the priesthood of Christ. Melchizedek represents not only the king of righteousness, but he's also the king of peace. There's no recorded earthly genealogy for Melchizedek, which means he didn't meet the earthly requirements for priesthood. He had no beginning of days, and there was no, no ending of his life recorded in history. And so he, Melchizedek, was, was a representative, or he resembled the Son of God, and he continues, the Scripture says, as a high priest forever. So our text reminds us today that we now have such a great high priest, one who represents a superior priesthood, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. At the ascension of Christ into heaven, the true tabernacle family, never it, 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 it no longer remains here in the earth realm. It's, it's set up in the heavenly realm where Jesus now serves as our great high priest. 
and a couple of observations on, on why the priesthood of Christ is superior to any other priesthood. First, the, the earthly high priest of Israel never could sit down in the tabernacle. First of all, there weren't any chairs in the original model. And second, because the work of the high priest was never finished. And so the high priest never sat down, and he certainly didn't sit down on the throne because the throne was reserved for kings. So don't miss this. Only a high priest after the order of Melchizedek can be enthroned because Melchizedek was both priest and king. And so only Jesus Christ, our great high priest, sits on a throne in the position of power on the right-hand side of the majesty on high in heaven, representing for us a superior priesthood. The earthly role of the high priest involved offering gifts and sacrifices in the sanctuary, and each of these sacrifices had to be repeated over and over again, and it was a constant reminder that no earthly sacrifice could ever provide a complete and finished salvation. You see, the blood of animals only covered confessed and and in unintentional sin. It could not wash away. It could not cleanse the guilty conscience. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 13. I love how Ryan covered this when he covered it several weeks ago. He says, for the blood of, of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of the defiled person with ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification for the flesh, or of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God. Listen, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the atoning work of the blood of the Lamb, is superior in every way because it doesn't just cover. It purifies, it sanctifies, it cleanses, it takes away. I love what John said in 1 John, or, or the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. He says, John was baptizing people, and the next day he saw Jesus approaching, and he looked and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. Not covers up, not masked, but takes away the sin of the world. And here's the point. The priesthood of Christ is transcendentally superior to any earthly priesthood either before him or after him. And so through the blood of the Lamb family, we are beneficiaries of a first a superior priesthood. And second, as beneficiaries of the sacrifice of Christ, we've been granted unlimited access to a superior sanctuary. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to use the word sanctuary and, and tabernacle. I'm going to use these words interchangeably today, okay? So when I say sanctuary, I'm talking about tabernacle. When I'm saying tabernacle, I'm talking about sanctuary, Okay? So under the Old Covenant, the status of the tabernacle, tabernacle is portrayed as a shadow sanctuary. 
And that's because the earthly tabernacle that was designed by God that he instructed Moses to build in, in Exodus chapter 25 was built to an exact pattern. And the word pattern here is, is more, it's more than just specific instruction. The word pattern is indicative of a, of a prototype. It's, it's, it's an example of something greater to come. And so our text today tells us that the earthly tabernacle was just a shadow of the heavenly temple. And so even though Moses would build, even though he would construct an earthly tabernacle to the exact specifications that God would give him, it would still only be a mere copy, a representation, a shadow of the heavenly. It could never match the authenticity of the original. Let me give you an illustration. A shadow is simply the reflection, if you will, of something that is solid that the light won't penetrate through. Okay? So a shadow will always point to something greater than itself. The shadow is never greater than the original. So, for example, me, I've got the shadow right here behind me, and as I walk up to this screen, you see the shadow. Can you guys see, see my shadow on the screen? Can you see it? Okay. And so I can do all these things, and, and the shadow is just merely a reflection of what I'm doing in the original. As a matter of fact, I'd venture to say this. If this shadow got up off the screen and started walking off the screen, all of y'all would run out of here. Right? Because the shadow can only do, it can only mirror and reflect the image of the original. It's the original that's authentic. It's the original that makes the difference. It's the original that's the real thing. So through the person of Jesus Christ, finite man and infinite God, mortal man and eternal God come together. Because in Christ we have God incarnate, God in the flesh, he as God in human form could do what no other human could do. He could bear all sins for all time in one single once and for all sacrifice. In a temple that is eternal in heaven, not made by hand. And so through Christ, through the blood of the Lamb, we have access to this eternal temple which means we have access through Christ to a superior sanctuary. And finally, the blood of the Lamb ensures that we are beneficiaries of a superior covenant. We pick up in verse 6 of, of chapter 8. And the writer writes, he says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, on the day when, they, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. 
for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each other, they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all, they shall all, everyone say all, they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I remember their sins no more. See, the promise of a new superior covenant that the writer is talking about here is, is, a, is a direct quote that's taken from the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. I think David read it earlier. He alluded to it. And it's a quote that dated back over 600 years from the time of this writing back to the, to the, king of, to the, the reign of King Josiah. And it was during that time that the people of God, the children of Israel, had rediscovered the laws and the covenants of God, and it led them to a time of, of national repentance. And it's in this time of repentance that, that the nation of Israel was led also to publicly recommit to these laws that God would use to guide them. They would recommit, but family, they would, they would continue to fail time and time again. And so mercifully, it's, it's, it's within this time frame, it's during this time that God makes a promise to them of a new covenant. One that's not based on the, on the condition of them keeping it, but was totally unconditional and totally dependent only on the work of God himself. The very fact that there was a promise of a, of a new covenant is indicative of the inadequacy of the old covenant. See, the promise of a new covenant that, that was made, as the writer pointed out, was made because the old covenant, in the old covenant, God would continue to find fault with his people. But under the new covenant, <laughs> under the new covenant, all was well. Because under the old covenant, there was no remedy for sin. But all was well because under the new covenant, it provides a remedy through Jesus Christ. It's founded on better promises. Promises that weren't dependent on us, but dependent on God. So under this new covenant, God promised that he would, first he'd put his laws in our minds and he'd write them on our hearts. Heart surgeries, heart heart surgery, heart transplant. You know, on December 3rd of 1967, the first successful heart transplant was performed. It was performed by, performed by a man named Dr. Christian Barnard in Johannesburg, South Africa. It, it was an operation, it was a procedure that took nine hours and over 30 people involved as assistants to, to work in the operating room with Dr. Barnard. It was performed on a patient. It was a man who was 54 years old. He was a grocer, and he, was, um, he had diabetes really, really bad, and, and he also had an incurable heart disease. And so Dr. Barnhart performed this, this surgical procedure, and it was the first successful heart transplant. 
Afterwards, uncharacteristically, the doctor, after a couple days of recovery, went to the patient and asked him, would you like to see your old heart? And the patient said, yes, I would. And so a couple of more days passed by, and then Dr. Barnard and, and this, the heart recipient went down into a room where Dr. Barnard walked across the room, went up to a cupboard, and pulled a glass container out of the cupboard, and walked over to the patient and gave the patient the glass container that contained his heart. And here, for the first time in history, in all of human history, a man was able to hold his own heart in his hand. History tells us that, that the man stood silent for a minute, just trying to get a grip on what he was actually looking at. Then after a few moments of silence, he began to barrage the doctor with, with about 10 minutes worth of technical questions about the surgical procedure and the operation. And when he was done with his questions, the man gave the doctor back his heart and said, so now this is the heart my old heart that gave me so many problems. And then he turned and he walked away and he never came back to see his old heart again. You know, family, in essence, this is what, this is what Christ does for us because although we still have our same heart beating in our chest, I really believe that uh, what, what, the, what the psalmist said, I believe that, that God creates in us a clean heart. And he renews a right spirit within us. I believe that, that God takes our stony heart and he, and he makes it into a heart of flesh. And then he writes his laws onto our hearts. <laughs> he writes his laws into our hearts and he, and he puts his laws in our minds. And in doing so, he makes us his people, partakers of his divine nature. And listen to me, it's true that even though we have a new heart, we're going to still battle with our sinful nature. Isn't that true? We're going to still battle with our sin nature from time to time. But listen, when we've surrendered our hearts to Jesus Christ, at that moment we became a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He's done a heart transfusion, a blood transfusion in our heart, replaced our stony heart with a heart of flesh. And now his spiritual blood pumps through our brand new heart. And it runs through our spiritual veins. And now we are children of God with the blood of the Lamb coursing through us. Wow. <laughs> and so for us, family, don't miss this. For us, the laws of God no longer are externally required. They are internally desired. Let me say that again. For us, the laws of God are no longer externally required. They are internally desired. That's the first promise. The second promise is this, that we will know God intimately as our God and as our Father. And he would know us, his people. I love that song that we sung earlier, that we were made for intimacy. We were made to be with God. We were made to be 
with God. Not just do, but be. Intimacy comes with being with God. Being known of God and knowing God comes with being with him. And God wants us to know him intimately in that way. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Third, he said, all peoples will know me. Eternal salvation, an eternal relationship with God will no longer be for just God's chosen people, the Jews. It'd be available to all people from all nations. The cross of Christ, the blood of the Lamb has made that possible. The enacted new covenant becomes the fulfillment of God's prophecy to Abraham that he made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 where he says that through your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He was talking about the promised seed. He was talking about Jesus Christ, our great high priest, the spotless, perfect lamb of God. Hmm. The fourth promise that God would forgive our sins and we would remember them no more. In Romans chapter 7 and 8, we're told that the old covenant, which is, which is based on the law, was flawed because it was weakened by the sin nature. And it's for these reasons that the old covenant could never deliver on the precious promises, family, that God has made to his people, not fully. Listen to what Romans 8 says. Romans 8 and 3 tells us, it says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the things of the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. Everybody say life and peace. That's what we are supposed to experience as sons and daughters of God, bought by and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Life and peace. See, the old covenant could not cleanse our consciousness, remember? And if you read on down in this chapter, verses 7 and 8 go on to say that the sinful mind is hostile towards God because it cannot submit to the laws of God. It just can't. And the old covenant doesn't take care of that. But listen, the new covenant is founded on better promises. And again, I love how Ryan put this a few weeks ago. He says it's a better covenant because, because of the extent of it and the access and the duration of it. It's more efficacious because of its ability to cleanse and purge the conscious and its ability to be fulfilled, watch this now, in the lives of all sinful humanity. It's a better covenant. Lance, you can bring your team up. And so in verse 13, the writer, the preacher says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. 
And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And here's the point. The old covenant was completely works-based. It was insufficient. It was temporary. It was interconnected with the new covenant. But when the new covenant came, the old passed away. It's been rendered obsolete through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The ceremonies that, that had to be rendered time and again for the remissions of sin are no longer necessary. The new covenant is all sufficient, it's permanent, and it's eternal. We're sealed once and for all by the shed blood of the Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb. And we are sealed, family, till the day of redemption. Now I'm going to close reading the passage out of Revelation where John is giving us a description of heaven, a detailed description. And he writes in Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 and following, he says, I, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. For the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives light. And its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light all nations will walk, and, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring into the glory and, and the honor of all nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Why don't you stand with me? there is going to come a day we don't know when it's going to be that every single one of us even those who have passed on before us are going to have to stand before that throne that John described in the Revelation. Scripture tells us we're going to have to give an account for every deed that was done in our body. And the Bible says that on that day, the books are going to be opened. And there will be names read out of those books. Names of those who never embraced the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the, 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 the Bible tells us that another book will be opened. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. I believe that, that every single person that's in that book has their name written in the blood of Jesus Christ. Will you be in that number? Have you surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you had a personal encounter with the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Watch this now for you and for me. Bow your heads with me. 
Maybe you're here for the first time because, see, we don't meet here just to have a good time. God has sent us. He's called us. He's equipped us to consistently and constantly invite those who don't know Jesus and have not surrendered to him as Lord, Lord and Savior to receive him. Now is that hour. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never embraced the gospel, today is your day. You do not have to leave here outside of relationship with the Lamb of God. If you're here and you you don't know Jesus and today's your day, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want you to slip your hand up right now. Be bold enough to do it. So now let me ask the question a different way. How many of you in here know that you know that you know that on that day when we stand before God, when we see Jesus face to face, that you have surrendered to his lordship and you've made him lord of your life and he is your king. Let me see your hands. Yeah. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Father, we thank you for the awesome privilege of being bought with the price of the the shed blood of your son for the redemption of our souls and for the remission of our sins. We realize that we're not perfect, but we know that your word tells us that if we confess any sin that we have, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because the blood of Jesus Christ is ever before you. Thank you for a great high priest who makes intercession for us. Thank you for, for a great high priest who sits in your presence in a holy sanctuary making intercession. And thank you that through his shed blood, we have been made one in the spirit with you. We praise you for this truth. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.